know, we always get nervous when Father preaches from the pulpit. It means sometimes that he has a lot to say, and you might miss the first quarter of the game. It's okay, don't worry. A while ago, I gave like a 30-minute homily, kind of as Dean, explaining some of the storms that the church is going through and some of the real difficulties and the invitation for us to really come together. And um, there continue to be those storms. We hear about the question of parish sustainability and even today, like the synodality, the synod and synodality, and there's lots of different opinions on those topics. You've got um, the bankruptcy, which we'll kind of focus on a little bit, and different opinions about that. You've got the um, elections going on right now, and different opinions about that. You've got the saints playing the buccaneers, and everyone's got different opinions about that. But anyway, um, but I want to start with the second reading, because it's very important what we're challenged to do. St. Paul says, complete in my joy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and heart. In the midst of the storms of division, come together. And in Christ, we look at our Lord himself in the face of these struggles and storms and the sin and brokenness of the world and the corruption and abuse and all these kinds of things, and, and he, he takes a different attitude than we might take. He takes it upon himself and bears the weight of those things. So the storm of, of the bankruptcy, I just want to invite us to pray. More than a lot of discussions or debates and, and, and whatever, there's, there's a lot to, to think about. There's a lot that we don't exactly understand fully. Sometimes you need a special degree in, in legal and bankruptcy to understand everything. But um, the Archbishop wrote a letter a few weeks ago. I hope you read it. I encourage you to read it. The news has lots of different takes on it. And some takeaways in the news or our own discussions are, are, are clear and good and consistent. Some are kind of a little drastic sometimes. Um, bottom line for now is that nothing's really decided. The court hasn't finished its process. Are we going to be invited to pay or, or, or who's going to be carrying the burden of the, of the payouts or whatever? We, we don't know and it's not clear because nothing's finished. So, but there's a lot of discussion sometimes, a lot of passion, a lot of speculation, which first of all means that we care and we're concerned and that's a good thing. So I want to share some of my, um, my own reflections, even though um, it might push past the first quarter too much, I'm sorry, but um, we'll see what, what comes of this, and I hope it's helpful. They may not be perfect either, but first of all, I think in all of this, with the, the church's situation today in our archdiocese, we need to keep this at the center. We are here and involved in this because we care. We're not just talking about rules that were broken back in the day, but about people who were hurt. People who trusted were betrayed by those whom they trusted those whom everyone thinks should be trusted, in the case of, of clergy in particular, and we are angry at the betrayal. But that's not the main point. People are hurting. And these crimes were not against laws, but against people. And our focus needs to be on the victims, on those hurting from these crimes. That's the reality of sin, the grievous sin of some of our broken brothers and sisters. Sins always have serious consequences, and people are hurting. The bankruptcy started in 2019 as 30 or so claims of abuse were brought forward and the church of today had to reorganize financially precisely because in some way it is right to try to make up for that hurt, to try to bring healing in whatever ways money might be able to bring healing. And in 2021, when our state legislature unanimously voted to release the statute of limitations, that situation is now 500 claims against employees of the church, women, men, teachers, coaches, priests, and deacons. And not all were ever verified, but it's, it's, it's real. There's enough credibility that there's real damage that was done. And their horrendous actions seemed at the time unthinkable, unimaginable, 
But regardless, their victims are real people. People to, who today suffer the trauma of that violation and that violence committed against them. In these proceedings, in any discussion or deliberation about money owed or debts to be paid, it's all about them. And we need to keep that as our focus in these discussions. A second takeaway for me, most of these cases and claims date back not to last year, not to five years ago, not under our last pastor or our last DRE or principal, but several decades ago. And that means, first of all, that almost, with some exceptions that we're familiar with, almost anyone directly responsible for the crimes or for the irresponsible mishandling of those crimes, bishops, legal personnel, sometimes parents, often psychological experts who may at times have been consulted, may not be in our hands to hold responsible today. We may not be able to, to make them pay for their crimes as we, we might want. But if they are already in God's hands, and many of them have been for years, then we can be sure that in ways we may never want to imagine, they are paying dearly for the consequences of their actions. Their death, far from being an escape from punitive actions, may likely be only the beginning of the perfect eternal justice of God. God always has the last word. And we can't forget that. We can't angrily discuss imperfect human justice as if divine and eternal justice, heaven, purgatory, hell, is not something we know to be real. Human justice is imperfect, and truth and justice here on earth doesn't always get the last word. But God always does. And we need to keep that in mind. We are invited to pray for their willing repentance from their awful sins. That's why we pray for those most in need of your mercy. And perhaps even in the light of what we mean by eternal punishment, we might even dare to pray for God's mercy upon them if we grasp what we mean by eternal punishment. But secondly, it also means, the fact that these, many of these took place so long ago, it also means that those who today are in fact taking the brunt of the blame and facing the imperfect human justice system for these terrible crimes and the media had little or no direct connection to them. Archbishop Amen is not responsible for the sex abuse scandal in those cases 20, 30, and 40 years ago. He was not making decisions in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. In fact, when a crime of abuse by a priest that had, took place dec a decade ago was brought to his attention recently, he did not cover it up or hesitate. He acted immediately. And for better or worse, everyone knew quickly that priest is facing civil and church consequences for his confessed failures. Archbishop did what had to be done. But members of today's Christian and Catholic communities, that's the Archbishop, that's you, that's me, are guilty, we might say, by association. On the one hand, unjustly so, right? Like blaming all police for the bad actions or abuses of some. Or blaming all priests who are held to be associated with the corruption or abuses of some. Or blaming all lawyers. Well, they are guilty. No, they're not, sorry. But no, but that false association is real. I actually got in trouble because some insurance agents were mad at me for always blaming insurance agents for everything. Okay, they're not all guilty. Rightly so. They're not all rightly guilty by association. There is a righteous anger and a feeling of repugnance at the idea that 
our collections or contributions might one day become tied to the lawsuit and the bankruptcy. We don't want our money going to pay for the attorney fees or whatever else on both sides of that case, or much less for the sins of certain priests, laity, employees, or bishops. And we lament that the entire Catholic Church has, in some circles, been entirely defaced and stripped of all credibility due to the sins or concealment of sins by some of our brothers and sisters. There's a righteous anger and an unjust association with that guilt. A little footnote here because people have asked about with the Archbishop comment in his letter that in the future we might see parishes being invited to contribute to the situation. What does that imply for our collections or our contributions? First of all, if you're concerned about it, talk with me. But I think, to to keep it short, um, right now, our decisions on that are premature because, again, no decisions have been made. We don't know what's expected and it doesn't matter right now. But at the end of the day, I'm the one who signs the checks. And just so you know, if you do want to withhold anything from the church now, the only one who's going to suffer is this community. Because we still have bills to pay. And that's insurance, that's utilities, that's the needs of people in this community that need material support. So now may not be the time to be thinking about that. In the future, we can talk about it. If things change on how we pay our bills, I can certainly let you know. But it is a time to, to renew our trust in those we know. This is the church right here. Even when you hear people whispering, don't trust the church, don't trust the church. What is the church? This is the church. So we want to be prudent in how we follow the whispers of the anxiety or other things that the media seems to be generating. But there is something, even in ethics and business ethics, that we rightly call corporate responsibility. And I don't know all about that ethics term, but in theology the word corporate or corpus reminds us that we are indeed all of one body. In light of that truth, the Church, Jesus himself, St. Paul, teach us that the joys and sorrows of one member in the body are shared by all the members, as if our own joys or sorrows. We do carry, and we should carry, each other's burdens. It also means that the sins of certain brothers and sisters in my family of faith, the body of Christ, are not theirs alone, but are carried and suffered by Christ himself. He took the blame. He owned those sins as his, which is where the first reading is really important. He did not claim equality with God, or you could say immunity from punishment. Rather, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a slave, a form that was due to my sins and their sins, and even to the punishment of death, unjust death, in my place and in their place. We need to sit with that a little bit if we pretend to follow and imitate Jesus Christ and Him crucified unjustly for the sins of the world, the whole world. With Christ, we are invited to drink His cup that He had to drink for us, for sinners we like, for sinners we hate, and for sinners we think should burn in hell forever. We are invited to feel as our own, in Christ, the weight of their sin, because he did that. And the responsibility also for the wounds of the victims of those sins. He took as his responsibility. 
We, as one body, can and are invited to share this burden. Not because the Archbishop might invite us to do so, or the law courts might one day demand some involvement of parishes, but because Christ did it. And Christ invites us to carry the cross that he carried for all our sins and for the punishment of our sins and our crimes. St. Paul reminds us, you should, all of us, we should rejoice in our sufferings for their sake. For in my flesh, I make up in my own sufferings what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church, the members who are saints and the members who are grave sinners. Are we willing to do that? Are we so committed to Christ that we even desire to share with him the burden of sin? Not just my own personal sin, but of all sin. And also the burden of tending the wounds of those who have suffered for sin, for our sin and for the sins of others. Do I understand what it means to follow Christ even to the injustice of the cross? For those who I think deserve it, or even for those who I don't think deserve it. Because in the end, I didn't deserve it. And yet he carried it anyway. We need to pray about that. Because what we're hearing in the news or the social media, that's not teaching us to do that. That's not cultivating those attitudes. It's cultivating other attitudes. But we are Christians, we follow Christ, and our own attitudes and actions should look different from those of the world. If we're serious about who we are and who we follow or pretend to follow. I can almost stop right there and you might actually make it to the first quarter, but we want to think about this. We need to go deeper into this. Ponder that, if you will. I'll go forward because the Archbishop's letter did mention the channeling injunction, and that's just, it's a legal mechanism intended to restrict the abuse of the legal system, which is a little flawed sometimes, such that a crime resolved and remunerated in a lawsuit on the archdiocesan level, you could say, cannot be repeated endlessly through lawsuits on the lesser parish levels. Others can explain that better than I can. But if some of us do hesitate, if and when we might be asked to contribute to the proceedings for the sake of real victims who desire real support in overcoming their trauma from our brothers and sisters, or if we simply find it utterly repulsive that our own funding might be used to bear the weight of others' sin and corruption and cover-up, then for a somewhat lesser motive, the intended direct use of our funding would be to set up some legal protection for our own ministry and mission against abuses of the flawed legal system. That's what the Archbishop was trying to explain in a short letter. But it's important we kind of understand what's being said and what's not being said. What's being said by the church and what's being said sometimes by the media who just need you to buy their papers. In all of this, we are invited to ponder the gravity, the seriousness of this storm, many storms that are in fact doing such damage to our own faith and to our own Christian lifestyle. And to realize the gravity of this situation for our Catholic Church, the body of Christ himself. And to ponder our role, my role and your role in that body and our shared call to carry the weight and share in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters through Christ, with Christ, and in Christ. We're invited to, we are invited to ponder the greatness of our very real but spiritual mission to support Christ in bringing to souls the love and mercy and the eternal salvation of Jesus Christ, not through wishful thinking or passive compassion, but by real 
and active ownership of our shared responsibility and maybe our shared contribution if and when that time comes. We're invited to really and prayerfully listen first to God and to the Holy Spirit and to what he might be asking each of us to do individually and maybe as a community. But also to listen to the cries of the victims of the abuses and violations by our own very broken, sinful brothers and sisters. We do struggle with this. I'm drawing to a close, but we do struggle. The emotional burden we carry is heavy, and there are so many and such conflicting emotions. We do love the church. We love the saints, the sacraments. Sometimes we love our priests. We love the wheat in the kingdom of God. But we struggle with the weeds. And when the media and the lawyers are yelling at Archbishop Amen and the, at the entire Catholic Church, sometimes we ourselves want to yell with them. This is hard. It's confusing. And we don't know all the details a lot of times. Maybe I haven't found the right words to try to explain it or describe it. Don't even get me started on the fact that all of this takes place in a broken legal system. It's not perfect. Look, when I was growing up, some lawyer gave me the advice as a teenager learning to drive. He says, and by the way, if you're ever in a car accident, don't ever say, I'm sorry, it was all my fault, even if it was. Why not? Because the system's not perfect. And some people take advantage of the people who are honest and open. It's not a perfect system. Don't get me started, but what kind of civilized first world legal system seems to condition due process by whether or not you can pay for those motions and filings that are needed for justice. Why is justice suddenly depending on how wealthy you are to pay for it? Is it about wealth or honestly about justice? And sometimes the fees of our attorneys, whatever they are on both sides, those are always endorsed by the judge and if they seem really expensive sometimes, the judge doesn't seem to have a problem with that. What does that say about the legal system today? If the, the system itself doesn't seem to think it's too expensive. It's ridiculous sometimes, the stories we hear. But it's frustrating because that's part of the context of all this and then you're not necessarily getting that side of the story. The church is not looking to pay more money. I promise. But sometimes it's, it's, it's part of the context that we, don't, we want justice, but the way it's going to be executed in this world may not be the way we think it should because the system is imperfect. But in all this, we need to pray. We need to pray for healing. <clears throat> we need to pray for authentic justice as best as we might see it. If we're struggling, we need to talk about it. I'm here. I don't fully understand. It's kind of hard for me too sometimes, but we need to talk about it. Because I do think instead, the enemy, the media, there's an effort to drive a wedge between your heart and your faith community, your God. But this is your home. This is your church. Like I said, there's an effort to sow distrust. And let's face it, sometimes certain individuals have warranted a certain amount of distrust. But... We don't want to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. May our faith be strengthened, not weakened, as we navigate these storms and navigate them together. That's why St. Paul would say, and maybe God is saying through St. Paul, complete my joy by being of one mind. We don't let the media inform our attitudes. We let Christ and the Christian way, truth, and life inform how we react to things, how we think about things, how we talk about them. We need to be renewed in that. Let us come together in the body of Christ. Let us pray in these situations, these storms, 
as we strive to navigate them as God would want us to. Amen? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, pray for us.